Hey everybody, well welcome to part two of Things I Wish I'd Known Sooner. And that's just a real honest title. There are things I wish I had learned sooner, known sooner, and I'm sure you've got some of those things in your own life where you look back and say, wow, if only I'd known this sooner. So what I'm doing is I'm sharing some things with you that hopefully you will learn from what I share so you don't have to learn it the hard way. And uh, so I know this is going to be a real blessing, and I so appreciate you tuning in on Wednesday night. This is online only. And, uh, you know, come October, we're going to be Wednesday night live. Uh, so those of you that want to come to church and, uh, you know, be in the sanctuary like we used to, well, that's coming. Lord willing, and as they said in East Texas, and if the creek don't rise. So now, let me just share with you some things that I wish I'd known sooner. First, I wish I'd learned sooner to adopt the pace of God. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. As a young believer, I was really on fire for the Lord. Once the Lord lit me and showed me that I was called and that I had a purpose in this world and that he had put his hand on me to minister the word, I'm telling you, I was a tiger in a cage. I wanted to take the world. And I wanted what God had for me obviously sooner and faster than he did. And I know you know exactly what that's like. You know, you can't figure out why God hasn't given you what you believe he has for you yet. Why is God tarrying? Why hasn't it come yet? Um, after all, doesn't God see what I can do if he would just turn me loose or if he would bring this or that or the other into my life and fulfill this or that promise? Well, God does know, and let me promise you, he knows what he's doing. But just from my own life, I wanted a worldwide ministry now. I wanted to preach to vast crowds of people now. I wanted the fullness of what God had called me to now. And I didn't understand why God didn't do it. I didn't understand, like I do now, that God is a God of patience. And he takes years to prepare a man or a woman of God for what he has for them. God is not a microwave God. He marinades his calling on his people. Um, he, he slow cooks and brings about his plan for our life. There's no instant with God. Uh, not when it comes to his plan for our lives. Yes, when you call out on his name and ask him to forgive you and come into your heart, you're saved. Instantly, but when it comes to his plan for your life, nothing is instant. God is a planner. He's a strategist. He has a definite pace and his pace is one of a marathon runner, not a sprinter. I want you to listen to that. His pace is of a marathon runner, not a sprinter. He's got your whole life in mind, not just tomorrow. Think about that. Really meditate on that as we move along. God's never in a hurry. He's never anxious. He's never frantic. And guess what? God is never late with his plan for your life. Now, what I wish I'd understand sooner is what God tells us about himself through Isaiah. God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. This is Isaiah 55 verse eight. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Verse nine, 
For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, God is letting us know here straight up. He's not like us and we're not like him. Uh, he's higher. His thoughts are higher than ours. His ways are higher than ours. Paul even went on to say his ways are past finding out. We can't discover the ways of God unless he decides to reveal them to us. So when we think we're ready for something, God may disagree. Uh, so because I was always pulling at the reins and longing for tomorrow, I didn't enjoy today because God was saying to me, not yet, Jeff. I know what I'm doing. I'm preparing you. And he says to you, uh, he's not ready for everything that you want him to do yet. He's preparing you. He's preparing, preparing you for the blessing and the blessing for you. You for the calling and the calling for you. You for the times and the times for you. The Bible says this. Listen to this verse carefully. It's very powerful. And here's, this is a verse about adopting the pace of God. It says, whoever believes will not be in haste. Isaiah 28, verse 16. Whoever believes will not be in haste. Do you catch that? That if you're really walking in faith, believing, that you're not going to be hasty. You're not going to be in a hurry. You're not going to be in a rush. No, if you're believing and trusting in him, you will not be in haste. You will learn to adopt the pace of God. And the pace of God is patience. Now notice mature faith that believes on and trusts in the Lord will not be hasty, but will acclimate to the pace of God. Now that's really, really important for us tonight. Proverbs 16 verse 9 says, we should make plans counting on God to direct us. We should make plans, but counting on God to direct us. That means we should submit our plans to the pace of God and not demand that they come about in a certain way or in a certain timing. See, I've learned and I try, I'm not perfect at it. I haven't perfected it for sure, but I try to think this way. God's moving in his timing and I've got my timing. My timing is almost never his timing. So the best thing that I can do, since he's always going to win and I'm always going to lose when it comes to a competition between my will and his, the wisest thing I can do is adopt the pace of God, adopt his pace. I've learned that worthwhile accomplishments require trusting God's pace. God's secret is patience, or I could put it this way. The secret of walking with God joyfully is to walk in patience, to adopt the pace of God. David wrote this. He said, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. So while we're all anxious and wringing our hands and wondering why God's not doing this or that, and, and we're, we grow impatient with him, God is busy focusing on every detail of our life, not just tomorrow, but for the rest of our life. God is focused on the rest of our life. Because remember, he sees the end from the beginning. Before the end of something, God sees, God sees the end before the beginning begins. Now, only God can do that. So right now, believe it or not, God sees the end of your life and mine. And he's planning not just for tomorrow, but for our whole life. So what he does, he does with that in view. So I want to encourage you, first of all, 
to learn just from listening to this message, work on adopting the pace of God. It took me years. And again, I'm still not perfected at it for sure. I still sometimes want to run ahead of God and, and try to get ahead of his will and his timing. But I have learned to a level to adopt his pace. His pace is patience. His pace is to marinate. He, he's, he's not a sprinter. He is the marathon runner God. And he sees our life as a marathon and he's working out his plan each and every day. So learn to adopt the pace of God. Amen. And you know what? When you do that, you're going to enjoy the journey. You know, I used to not enjoy the journey because I was always looking to tomorrow. Come on, let's get to tomorrow. Let's get to the next uh, mountaintop, the next achievement, the next this and that. But I've learned that happiness is found in walking in the pace of God. And happiness is not a destination. Happiness is walking in the pace of God and trusting him each and every day. So learn to adopt the pace of God. Now, the second thing that I wish I had learned sooner is that focus changes everything. Now, I want you to think about that statement. Focus changes everything. Now, I want to talk to you about two kinds of focus. First of all, the laser-like focus that we need to accomplish our goals. Laser-like focus. That's one kind of focus I'm going to talk to you about. The second kind of focus is the focus through which we view life. Focus changes everything. I want you to remember that. Don't ever forget that. Many people don't realize how important focus is. Laser-like focus on God's assignment for your life and the focus, the lens through which we view life. So first, let me talk to you about that laser-like focus we need to accomplish our goals and God's assignments for us. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9, 25, he says, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Now here, Paul is drawing the metaphor uh, that you and I are like soldiers in God's army. So we have assignments as soldiers. We are warriors. We are. We have all been drafted into the battle that Jesus Christ is waging between good and evil, uh, God and the devil, uh, light and darkness. And so he says, I'm going to tell you that you're like a soldier. And a soldier refuses to allow his focus to be broken. His focus is on what his commanding officer has given him to do. And that's the way we need to view life. Our commanding officer is the captain of our salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are to be focused above and beyond anything else in life on his assignment and his purpose for our life. Now, what Paul had to say is a focus passage. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlists him to be a soldier. That's a focus passage. Paul is saying that as a soldier in the Lord's army, he personally refused to get entangled with the affairs of this life, to become distracted by the million and one things that are always competing for our attention, that would sap his energy and take him away from God's main purpose. You know, I'll tell you, God has taught me focus through the years, and, and I, I'm praying that he teaches you focus as well, and I'm sure he probably already has been, because our God is a God 
who teaches us to stay focused on the utmost important thing in our life, and that's his assignment for us. Now, that said, there's no way that we can avoid having to deal with the affairs of this life. No way. Uh, we've got to function in this world, so let's be realistic. But we can learn to say no to the things that God hasn't truly given us to do. You know, sometimes people will tell you that you need to do this or you ought to do that. And, you know, sometimes they're not speaking out of God's will for you. I've noted that people will put on me what I let them put on me. And sometimes it's God's will for my life. And sometimes it is not God's will for my life. And I've had to learn to say an anointed no to the things that I discern are not God's will for me, that he's not asking me to do, that are not part of his assignment for me. Now, one of the great examples is the two sisters of Lazarus, who was raised from the dead, Martha and Mary. Great examples, because one day Jesus visited their house. Now, you remember the story. Mary sat at Jesus' feet, hanging on every word that he spoke. But in the next room, in the kitchen, you could hear pots and pans clanging. You could hear all kinds of busyness in that kitchen. And suddenly, Martha came blowing into the room, telling her sister Mary off and telling Jesus to get on to her for not helping her in the kitchen. And Jesus looked at Martha and said, Martha, Martha, you know, I've learned when Jesus says your name twice, you're in trouble. Martha, Martha, he said, you are careful or anxious and worried about many things, but Mary has chosen the good part that will not be taken away from her. Now, I want you to listen to what Jesus said to Martha. Picture this now. Martha had allowed herself to be pulled away from God in flesh sitting in her living room. Think about that for a minute. Here is Jesus Christ, the, the prophesied Messiah that the prophets of God and the Jewish people have been waiting for for centuries. He has come to their house. He's sitting in their living room. He's teaching. Oh, I would give anything to listen to what it was he was teaching Mary. I would love to know what he taught Mary. I wish the word of God told us, but you can count on this one thing. It was amazing. It was the word of God. And Mary had the attention of the Lord Jesus all to herself. And here's Martha, so distracted by things that the Lord had not put on her that she lost the chance to sit at his feet, the, the feet of very God sitting in her living room and listen to his word. What an example. Martha, Martha. Now, there have been times I could hear him saying to me, Jeff, Jeff, and maybe you can put your own name there. Jeff, Jeff, you are careful and distracted and worried and anxious about so many things. You could choose the good part, listening to my word, and it'll never be taken away from you. So my point is this, focus. This is a focus story. Mary focused on the right thing and Martha focused on the wrong thing. And I've learned that, you know, you can do too many things. You can get involved in so many things, uh, have your hand in a hundred different things, even good things. Martha wasn't doing a bad thing. She just wasn't doing the best thing. And it can keep you from the very best. And so it's focus. I learned that if you try to be everywhere, you end up being nowhere. 
if you try to be everywhere at once, Mr. Johnny on the spot, oh, I can do this, I can do that, and you let people put all these different things on you that are not part of God's assignment, you end up nowhere. Being everywhere, you're nowhere. Life requires focus, and focus changes everything. Who do you think was transformed that day? Mary, Mary or Martha? Who got the most out of Jesus' visit? Mary or Martha? Well, I think we know the answer. It was Mary because she put her focus in the right direction. Now, focus changes everything. Focus is the secret of strength. The second kind of focus I want to mention is the focus that the kind, that where the, the lens through which you view life, that kind of focus. Focus being the lens through which you view life. How do you view life? How do you view yourself? How do you view God? How do you view people? That's your focus, and focus changes everything. Now, we all know the story of the 12 spies that one day Moses called together and said, I want you to cross the Jordan, go over to the promised land, and I want you to bring back a report of what you see. So these 12 men, all commissioned by Moses, hence commissioned by God, were sent across the Jordan. They go into the promised land, and as they surveyed the incredible beauty of what God had promised to give them, Two of the spies saw only ripe fruit, milk and honey, spectacular land, and incredible blessing. And they were excited. They were cranked. They were pumped. They couldn't believe it. They were ready to go and take that land. But 10 of them had a totally different focus. The two had a right kind of focus, the lens of faith. And that lens is how they viewed life. But the other 10 had a different focus. They focused solely and only on the giants of the land, the weapons they possessed, and the size of the giants compared to themselves. And that's what they saw. Now notice that two different kinds of people saw two different things. Two different kinds of focus saw two different things. The two spies saw only potential and possibility and blessing. The 10 other spies saw only danger, regret, fear, and unbelief. Now, when the 12 returned to Moses to give a report, Joshua and Caleb, the two men who had the, the right kind of focus, were filled with a faith-driven focus. And they said, hey, we are well able to take this land and defeat the giants. But the 10 other spies said, giants were everywhere and we were like grasshoppers in their sight. Now, it occurred to me when I was getting ready for this tonight, though I've read this story a thousand times, that what they said wasn't true. We were as grasshoppers in their sight, but that wasn't true because no giant had ever said to them, hey, you're like grasshoppers in my eyes. No, what told them that? The 10 spies were grasshoppers in their own sight because of their focus of unbelief. Focus changes everything for the good or for the bad. Focus changes everything. And whatever your focus is in life is going to decide your future, whether you win or lose, whether you conquer or are conquered, whether you overcome or are overcome. Focus changes everything. The negative focus of these 10 spies brought all of Israel down and it stopped an entire generation from entering into the promised land and into their destiny. And they died on the other side of the Jordan. What a tragic story because focus changed everything. Instead of a faith focus, they had an unbelief focus and it totally affected their life. 
You know, there have been times I wish I'd learned sooner the importance of a faith focus because you will never and I will never complete God's assignment for my life or your life with a grasshopper focus. Paul the Apostle said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That was a faith focus. And we know the Apostle Paul finished everything that God had given him to do. And that's the kind of focus we must put on each and every day. So I wish I'd learned that sooner, but I've learned it now more and more and more. I'm walking in that kind of focus and I encourage you to do the same. Now there's one final thing I want to share with you tonight. I wish I'd learned sooner. I wish I'd learned sooner not to let things stick to me. I wish I'd learned sooner not to let things stick to me. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Give you a little illustration. One night, some time ago, I let my dog out back uh, before going to bed. And when I let him back in, right before I locked everything up, I was immediately hit with an unmistakable smell. Skunk. My dog had been skunked. Somehow or another, he'd run into a skunk in the backyard and he brought in that unmistakable, horrible smell. And no matter what we did, we couldn't seem to get rid of the smell. We did the, you know, the tomato paste bath. We, I even put my cologne on him and nothing got rid of this smell. It took days and bath after bath after bath to finally vanquish the smell. Now, I know people like this who have become, I'm going to just say skunked by an offense, skunked by an unpleasant experience, hurt by something that somebody said or somebody did, and they carry the smell of it sometimes, are you ready, for years. I've seen people get skunked by an offense, skunked by a hurt, skunked by something somebody did to them, said about them or said to them, and they have carried that smell, the smell of the skunking for years. It has affected their life. What a tragedy. What a sad, sad thing to see. They carry the smell of it. You get around them and it doesn't take long at all for them to be able to, to immediately begin to, to rehearse what happened that hurt them, that offended them, and that so marked their life that now they are defined by what happened to them and not by the Lord Jesus on their life. They got skunked. And I want to tell you in my early days, because I was born uh, in all transparency with a sensitive nature. I feel things very intensely. I'm emotional. I feel things emotionally, uh, good things and bad. I feel it very intensely. And I had a sensitive little spirit. And I can tell you that in my early years as a Christian, I did the same thing. I carried hurts and I carried offenses longer than they deserve to be carried. Uh, I let things stick to me. And I wish I'd learned sooner not to let things like that stick to me. You know, sometimes we're not even aware of how we've let some things stick to us. A critical statement from a third grade teacher sticks like glue and affects the way we view ourselves for years to come. I've talked to people who experienced something in elementary school Somebody said, you're dumb, or you're not talented, or you don't have a, 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 a you're not good looking, or you're kind of homely, or you're not athletic, or you don't have any special talent. And because one person said that to them, it's stuck. It's stuck to their soul, stuck to their spirit. And it shaped the way they viewed themselves, 
shape uh, their goals, their aspirations, what they believe they could accomplish because of the words of one person. That's why it says death and life are in the power of what people say to you and what you say to people. A negative neighbor says something five years ago and their words are still replaying in your mind today. I know exactly what that's like. You know, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, we shouldn't let things people say and do stick to us. Listen to these words from Ecclesiastes chapter seven, verse 21. Solomon says also, do not take to heart everything people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Now notice, he said, don't take it to heart. Don't let it stick to you. What people say, what they do, don't let it stick to you. And then he says in verse 22, for many times also your own heart has known that even you have cursed others. People have said bad things about you and you've said bad things about others. Solomon is encouraging us here not to let things stick to us that people say and do. You know, people that sling mud have dirty hands and dirty hearts. Why let them um, affect our future, affect our joy, affect our destiny? No, we should never do it. Is this easy? It's not easy. No. But can it be done? Yes. And I'm going to tell you how to do it. How to not let things stick to you. I believe the key to disarming hurtful words and actions so they don't stick is forgiveness. Now listen carefully to me. If you heard anything tonight in this message, I want you to hear this one because we live here more, I think, than anywhere else. Forgiveness is necessary to so many things in life. In fact, forgiveness will give you a Teflon soul. You remember when Teflon pans came out and the whole sales pitch was, you don't need to put anything in this pan because it's Teflon. And when you're frying an egg in it, it'll slide right out of there. It won't stick because it's Teflon. But you know what? God wants us to have Teflon souls so that the hurtful things people say and do don't stick. But how do we achieve a Teflon soul? It is through forgiveness, friend. I'm telling you, it's through the power of forgiveness. First, this works vertically between us and God. See, when we make a mistake and we sin, the devil is going to use that sin to condemn us. Uh, that sin is going to stick on the surface of our soul until we go to God and we say, Lord, I'm confessing my sin. I'm asking you to forgive me my sin and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. The minute that we do that, we disarm the devil from being able to use that sin to rob our joy and, and, and cause it to stick to us where we're walking around feeling condemned, unworthy. We don't feel we can witness. We don't feel that we deserve to be in church around God's people. And if we don't go to God quickly and ask for forgiveness, then that sin is going to stick. And we've got to learn not to let things stick to us vertically between us and God. Because as long as we've got something between us and God, we're not going to pray good. We're not going to witness good. We're not going to live the Christian life good. We've got to go to him for forgiveness. So I say, never give sin more than a 24-hour shelf life. I would say, don't give it any more than an hour shelf life.
Or how about 15 minute shelf life? Keep short accounts with God. As soon as you know you've sinned and the Holy Spirit's convicting you, immediately 1 John 1, 9 it. Take it to the Lord and confess it to him. And as soon as you do, then that's not gonna stick to you. The devil has nothing by which he can condemn you because you're experiencing the forgiveness of God and that thing is not going to stick. Praise God. You know, I know people that committed sin years ago and they still today allow the devil to condemn them for it because they've never really taken it to God and received his forgiveness. Uh, one time I was struggling over this kind of a situation and uh, I was letting a sin stick to me. And it's like God said to me finally, Jeff, is your sin greater than my son's blood? Well, of course, it was a rhetorical question. No, Lord, it was not. It's not greater. He said, then receive his forgiveness. And you know what? Immediately, it no longer stuck to me. Now, that's true vertically, but it's also true horizontally between us and people. Horizontally, when others hurt us with words or actions, forgiveness removes the offense so that it cannot stick. I can't tell you the importance of this. Do you know how many people are not in church every single week because of some offense that happened in church and they won't go back because they haven't forgiven and the offense is sticking to them and it's altering their whole destiny, their whole walk with God. This is one of the main reasons, folks, that I forgive others. And I'll, I'll be very honest with you. I don't forgive others many times for them, but I do it for me. It's a selfish reason, I guess, but it, it works for me because I know if I don't forgive, then I'm allowing someone else to control my life through what they did to me. And I'm not going to let what they did stick to me. I'm not going to let things stick. So I've learned when I forgive others, then immediately I begin to get freed from what they did and it doesn't stick. So I'm not walking around thinking about it, rehearsing it, nursing it, dispersing it. I'm not doing any of that because the more I say, I forgive them, Lord, I forgive them in your presence. I forgive them. I forgive them. I forgive them. I don't even have to feel it. You don't have to feel the want to forgive in order to forgive. Just say it. I forgive them. I forgive them, Lord. I forgive him. I forgive her. I forgive them. It's not always easy. And sometimes, you know, I've got to forgive more than once before I'm truly free. But when I forgive, the devil loses his ability to make things stick. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and I close with this. Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. The little phrase, take advantage, is from a Greek word meaning outwitted, cheated, or outmaneuvered. Paul is saying that the devil gains an advantage over us if we don't forgive. Why let the devil get a foothold if you aren't willing to forgive? One of those advantages is the offense will stick. And I'm not going to give the devil that advantage. I'm not going to give him a foothold. I'm not going to give him one square inch in my life. So I'm going to forgive. And when I do, the offense doesn't stick. I wish I'd learned sooner not to let things stick to me. But praise God, I'm wiser now. And I pray that this wisdom 
also becomes a part of your life if it's not already. Well, I hope our little time together has blessed you tonight. And I pray that God blesses you with these words of things I wish I'd learned sooner. And I hope they minister to you like it ministered to me to share it with you. I look forward to seeing you this Sunday. God bless.